Praise the Lord, church. Jesus. Lord, you are so good. Lord, you are marvelous. Lord, let there be a new thing poured out here today. Let the unction of the Holy Ghost begin to move in this house. That, oh Lord, that old promises and new promises alike, oh Lord, are going to be poured out in this house. Jesus, Lord, you are so good. Lord, you are so excellent. It is an honor and a privilege to be here tonight. It is an honor because the pastor has entrusted me to teach and to preach or treat, whichever one comes across. But also, I'm also here with the house of, in the house of God with the people of God. That is the most important factor that we could ever have, is in the house of our God. And so let's go ahead and turn open to 2 Peter chapter number 3, verse number 9. I have a couple passages of scripture, and the other one will be Philippians 4, 6 through 8. And when you got it, say amen. Amen. 2 Peter 3 through 9, 3 verse number 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In the second verse, let's go to Philippians 4. Verses 6 through 9. And here's what it says. Verse number 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Verse number nine is kind of where I want to get this, though. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do and the God of peace shall be with you. And kind of going into this night, I was struggling with the title. I actually swapped in between three or four different ones, but eventually it settled on the tipping point. And what's and also before we sit down and before we dive into the content that I have today, I want us to pray for two things before we get into this. The first is for repentance. Not just repentance of what we committed, but omitted, and things that are unseen, and things that have not been characterized in the deep recesses of the hearts that we didn't even realize that we had. And the second part is for the understanding of what we ought to do when we find that out. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and pray for these things. Lord, I love you and I praise you. Lord, I am thankful for the word. Lord, I am thankful for all that you're going to do today. And Lord, I pray for the repentance of this congregation. Lord, for the repentance of our hearts. That, O oh Lord, that as we come before you, that, O oh Lord, that we will be washed, that we will be clean. Lord, let our palate be swept clean, and Lord, let it be made white as snow. That, O oh Lord, that all that we have committed, Lord, let it be put under the rug. And all that we have omitted, O oh Lord, bring it unto us. That, O oh Lord, that we may remember 
Lord, that which we ought to do. And Lord, I pray everything that is hidden in the recesses of our heart, Lord, bring it unto us, that, oh Lord, that it might be right before you. Jesus, and I pray for the understanding, oh Lord, that goes along with the things that go along with these things, that, oh Lord, that I will not be slack, oh Lord, God, concerning these things, but I will do and that I will be uh, the best that I can be for the house of God, for the people of God, for you, oh Lord. Lord, I give you all the praise and all the honor and all the glory. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, if you have your Bibles still open, go ahead and turn open to Ezekiel chapter 36. And Brother Andy, if you could, as I go along through these scriptures, just keep them up there because I'm going to constantly be referencing them back and forth. So this was kind of an interesting thing when I was studying. At first, it was all the titles were Our Jerusalem, the Testaments of His Power. There was a couple different titles that actually came up. But this ended up settling in to a little bit more of a degree that I was like, Okay, God, this is what you want to talk about. Fair, fair enough. And going through this, at first I didn't realize what I was actually quite reading, to be totally honest with you. I, you know, we know Ezekiel, very famous passage right before the Valley of Dry Bones, you know, and that's what I thought that this would end up leading to. It does lead to that. But there's a lot more here in the previous, in chapter 36, that is a lead up to 37. That's actually very important that we have to, take a tangible notice to. And so we'll start in Ezekiel 36, chapter number uh, verse number 23. This is God, of course, when he's trying to, speaking out prophetic times of restoring the people of Israel, and this is actually also when he's going to pour out his spirit. There's kind of a duality to these portions of scriptures here. It's not just for the people of Israel, but also for the people of God that were to come on the, on the outpouring of the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 2. And here's what it says. And I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which ye have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. So we have God coming right out the get-go, stating his purpose, stating his intent, stating what he wants to accomplish with this new covenant, with this new promise. And this is a new covenant and promise that, of course, Israel and, and the people of God, which was going to come. And so we have the start of something great. We have, the, we have Ezekiel prophesying this. We have God telling Ezekiel the words that he ought to say. And then he keeps on going in verse number 24. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all the countries and bring you into your own land. We see the initial separation of people being placed here in this scripture. This is the start of the salvation process for a lot of us. A lot of us have come from, you know, I'm second-generation apostolic. I was born into this. This is normal for me. But I know for a lot of first-generation apostolics are coming out of a world that's completely different than what we live in, than what I even know even to be reality, to be completely honest with you. And so when we have all that to be said and we have that differentiation, but these were the people who had left their first estate. These are the people that have left the promises. These are the people that have not had the benefit of actually reaping the promises that were given back in the Mosaic Law and the Mosaic Covenantal times. This is a time and a period where they were very much non-Jewish, as we could say that. They were very heathenistic, you know, this is idols, whole nine yards. We all know the story about that. Although what's really interesting in this whole thing, though, is that 
God is also making a promise to bring them back to an identity. And the identity that's actually going to be placed here is going to be significant when it comes to the furthering of God's kingdom in the physical and in the spiritual world. This is the very start, the calling out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is just the start of what God's going to do and what God's going to accomplish with his people. But there has to be a step. There has to be an action. There has to be a step of faith into the things of God that is going to happen. Verse number 25, and again, we have this interesting, interesting aspect of Scripture really starting to take hold. And this is where it started kind of clicking for me when it was like, hold on a second. This is where God and really started to work on me and really started to say, hey, pay attention to this through the end of the chapter. In verse number 25, it says, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Will I cleanse you? They were coming out of the old habitations of what they knew. And what's really more interesting is actually old habitations that were hidden in the heart. We can, let's be honest, there's a lot of people here, and maybe even, you know, not here, that they come to church, but they're not living this way. They're not living the correct way that we ought to live. It's not the sanctified and holy life that God has called us to. It's the hidden recesses of the heart. This isn't just the place where we ought to just dwell, to come, enjoy the service, enjoy the singing, enjoy the, enjoy the preaching. We enjoy the trappings, essentially, of Pentecost without taking it home with us. And that is a very, very powerful thing, is when there's going to be a sanctified, consecrated lifestyle outside of this, is where there's going to be the dynamic power that, as we have all heard, it has been laden with just Brother Kifle with his devotion. We have Brother Logan Sargent with his changing your appetite. Brother Georgie's no excuses. Pastors been teaching on Bible studies. Brother Brother Gazande just taught on just back to the basics, just how to live. There's been a pattern of this over a month to where there has to be a point where we start to dive into that lifestyle, where we start diving into the things that God really wants us to do. It's one thing just to come in here, but to do. This is the kingdom of God. That's why I ask us to pray for the repentance of what we have done and what we haven't done. The sin of omission can be just as dangerous and just as prevalent as just as much as that, that there's no action. There's no nothing. There's no movement, no dynamicism. There's nothing. Without living a life that's actually consecrated and holy, we're going to stay in this cycle. And then we see it here in the book of Ezekiel. We see a type and a shadow of people coming out of the world or coming out of maybe just a religious lifestyle with no dynamicism at all in place in all of this. And then it says in verse number 26, it keeps moving on. 26 and 27, I'll read those. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. This is very significant. This isn't just God saying, I'm just going to make you clean, make you whole, and restore you. This is God saying, I'm going to live on the inside and, and put my spirit inside of you. This is where this gets really interesting just to, for the fact that it's taking it apart from the very physical lifestyle. You know, we mosaic, a lot of us are pretty well versed. You know, we know the mosaic law. Very phys Hello, hello. But anyways, it's a very physical law. You know, 
you have to do the wave offerings, you have your sin offerings, you have these offerings, this and that. This is taking a lot of those aspects away and taking it directly to God himself. And God is the one that is actually taking the stubbornness, the heartache, the hardness out of our hearts. And he's putting in the, in the heart of flesh. Pharaoh, Pharaoh, when they were trying to escape Egypt, had a heart of stone. The heart of man, the heart that beats after God's heart is one made of flesh and one that is soft and sensitive to what God's trying to do and where God's trying to lead us. That is the important part. It's not just to do what we want or do what we so please. Everything is supposed to be after the jurisdiction, after the God's kingdom and God's will. That is the important part of having the right heart and the right mindset. But this is also where the rubber, rubber meets the road. To understand the implications here, we must remember that people of Israel knew their promise, that they were the people of God. They failed in their service to him. How often does that ring true for us? How often do we get up day in and day out and we don't fulfill what God's calling us to do? How many times do we get up, you know, and it may not be something that, you know, may strike us as maybe overly sinful. If anything, you're like, ah, it's not a big deal, moving on, peace out. Like, oh, I didn't pray this morning, I'll pray when I get home or something. Dedication and that consecration of time is going to be the most important thing you do. The dedication and consecration of your time and your efforts is going to be the most important and very, and it's going to help facilitate the movement of God in the local churches because it always takes place in the home and in the recesses of the heart. And it's made manifest in the church services. It very much is. God can move. God can do whatever he wants. But a lot of the time and a lot of the effort has to be done at the home. And it has to be done in the secret. It has to be in the quiet. But that's not just the that's not just the end all be all right there. What I, what ends up happening is that dynamicism starts taking place in your personal prayer life, in your personal walk with God. The more you talk with God, the more God's gonna talk back to you. It's just simple one plus one math right there, really. So what, so what happens when we really start talking with God? We really start looking at the things of God. We really start studying the word. We really start really getting into this. God will give you a newer revelation. God will give you a new promise. God will give you a thing that you haven't had before. And also he will restore the old things that he has promised you before. Because a lot of people will start this and they will be on fire for God. They will look for the things of God. They will desire the things of God. You know, the new convert zeal. We can't afford to lose that. We really can't. It's not just for the winning of souls, but also for the dedication and consecration in our own personal lives. That's really what we're trying to aim for. That's really what we're trying to accomplish, is to keep that consecration, keep that holiness, that separation that always happens. When the people come out from the world, a lot of people have lost their families. A lot of people have lost, you know, old friends. A lot of people have lost you know, maybe support from an old group or support from their old supporting crowd. Sometimes it's, it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing. I don't understand that dynamic. But I know that's not an easy thing when you're losing your friends. I know it's not an easy thing when you're losing your people that you trust. And so when you come out here, when you're starting to make the choice, you're really taking, you're combining your faith and action in one moment, in one movement, all at one go, and you're saying, I'm going to keep moving forward, and I'm going to keep walking this. No matter what the, con no matter what the consequences are for wh anything else, God is the only thing that ought to matter in this walk right now.
and to deepen the relationship that really accepts it's that continual step. It's that continual walk. Because at the end of verse number 27, it says, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. Pretty plain. Pretty simple. I know that's not exactly, you know, a, a mind blower, but at the same time, sometimes the simplicity of the faith is kind of what may trip people up. We can get caught up on the real high exuberant, you know, oh, what does the Greek say? What does this say? What does the Hebrew say? What does all that say? Sometimes it's pretty plain as day. You just come in here, you look at it. That's what it says. That's what you ought to do. There's and it's the word of God. This isn't like it's just the prophet Ezekiel saying something. This is God giving the words to Ezekiel to write down. Should be red letter. I mean, honestly, this whole thing should just be red letter. And moving on to verse number 28. And ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. And ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. So we have the old promise that first has come to fruition. We have the old things that are first going to be restored and renewed. And that is just the stepping stone to what God is going to do later on. And we are that avenue in which God begins to work through, to pour out his spirit and promise. Those things always come in tandem. Happened on the day of Pentecost. We have promise. We have the actions. We have old things becoming new. We have the promise of a new life in Christ past that point. This is just another type and shadow of that day. That was then and what is now. We have the promise that God will pour out his spirit on all flesh, such as it was on the day of Pentecost, and the promise was unto you and all that are afar off. This isn't a limited thing. This is not for just anyone. This is for anyone. This is for everyone who will, anyone who wants it, anyone who desires it, can come to the house of God, and they can come seeking it. But they had to make that choice. They had to make that consecrated evaluation saying, I'm willing to give up my wants, my desires, what I want this right now, because I know that there's more to me than this. And that's just the start of every, of every child of God's walk. That is just the beginning of what we have in order to gain, to obtain, to uphold. And those levels, that deepening. And what I really, really, really want to hit on tonight is the transitional phase from one level to another level. I want to kind of take like a little snapshot of what that point looks like. I'm doing all this because there's a lead up to later on in the chapter 37 that I want to get to. But... We have to see the promise. We have to see the foundation. We have to see the outline of what's really going to happen later on. And as we keep on moving on, and it also says, number 29, and I will also save you from all your uncleanness, and I will call for the corn and will increase it and lay no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruit of the tree and increase of the field that you shall receive no more reproach of famine among the heathen. Then shall you remember your own evil ways and your own doings that were not good and shall loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and for your abominations. Not for your sakes do I do this, saith the Lord God. Be it known unto you, be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. Very potent. 
It was after the people had received the bounty. It was after the people had received the goodness of God. It was after the people had received the Holy Ghost that God began to illuminate and show where it was that we were lacking so, so far. It was really in those moments where we have the blessing, we have the goodness of God, we have the things of God at our fingertips, we have the things of God being poured into our lives, and we, you know, we get the Holy Ghost, we're speaking in tongues, and it's in the one quiet moment that God is like, what about this? And, it's, and, you're just, and you sit there in your own prayer, in your own prayer closet, could be up here at the altar, could be anywhere. But wherever you are, God is like, what about this? What about this value? What about these actions that you're taking? What about these things that you're not doing over here? I mean, we have the obvious, you know, you know, don't go out drinking, don't go out doing this, doing that. But it's those things where it's like, I don't want you maybe watching X amount of YouTube videos per day. It could be something so simple as, hey, instead of taking that way, go, go around this way on your daily job commute. Go to this coffee stand. It's that simple leading. It's that simple voice that really is going to be calling out to us. We have to be sensitive to hear it. We have to be sensitive in order to maintain our walk with God and to move forward into the kingdom. We have to maintain that proper line, that proper ear to the ground, saying, God, whatever you want to say, whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it. No matter even how hard it is. Because that's a lot of it, because a lot of the times that goes right up against our own flesh and our own humanity. It goes against the very core of our being. It goes against the very fabric of, of who we are. God, by his, by his nature, is holy. It's pure. It's righteous. The whole list goes down, but the first one that is ever listed is holy. And as man, we come in, we are not clean. We are born into sin. We are born into the filthy things of this world. It's up to us to be cognizant and to realize, hey, no matter the actions, in the way I speak, in the way I think, in the way I conduct my business, in the way that I actually operate, as a human being, because that's what it changes. It doesn't just change, you know, yeah, you're saved, yeah, you're this, you're that, but it's really getting you back to alignment how Adam was before the fall. It's really getting us back to where God's spirit is dwelling in us. It's really God getting back, getting us back to the point where it's like, this is what I had for you all along. This is what I had in store for humanity all along. It's not something that's going to be, you know, it's not going to be how we think either. It's not going to, it usually is not how we understand it. It's not sometimes how we comprehend it, but it's in those moments where you're like, I understand where I failed. I understand where I messed up. But how do I change because of your understanding? That is where we really want to hit. Because it's a long, hard, lonely road when you start doing things and you know God is against it. And when you know God is really not for it. And when, you go, when you're going against the things of God, when God's trying to say, go here, you're going to keep running right into that road until you fix that. You're going to keep on going in circles, round and round and round. And that's the honest truth. However, though, if we do it right, this is where the moment gets good. It's usually done at home. It's coming to the church on an off night. Pouring your, pouring your heart out, pouring your guts out here on the altar. It's going back at home in your own private prayer closet, and you're just trying to get right. You're trying to be holy before the Lord. But all the greatest moves of God always happened with just one or two individuals. 
The very first and foremost, very famous, is Jesus is a Street Revival, William Seymour. He prayed for five hours a day. He fasted weekly, probably two or three times a week. The man was a powerhouse of a prayer. But he didn't receive the Holy Ghost at a church. He received the Holy Ghost in a little house in L.A. And then they end up moving the missions over to Azusa Street. But what's interesting about that is that it was in their own personal time that they actually ended up getting the Holy Ghost and that they ended up speaking in tongues. And this wasn't the first instance. Parnum, I, th- I believe, was the first one in Topeka, Kansas. Could be wrong on that. I'm not sure of the city. But I know Parnum was the first one where they had an outpouring, speaking in tongues. The things of God were very, very fluent in that time. And that's not the only place, because at the same time, on the other side of the world, in Wales, they had a man by the name of Evan Roberts. He was a man, and there were actually ministers. I remember reading up on the man, and that there were ministers that were praying for a man that was so consecrated and so holy and so dedicated that did not come from the universities of their time. The universities of Liverpool, Oxford, those were all big literary colleges at their time. But what they ended up doing was, was they eventually heard of a young man who was just going, and he was just a coal miner. Not a glorious job, nothing great, nothing fantastic. He was just a coal miner who was going in, and he was just teaching the word to his own coal miners. And what ended up happening is that the coal miners' productivity went up. They ended up going to church more, and, they, and some of them were even later on found in the revivals of Evan Roberts. And we're talking hundreds of thousands of people, 20,000, 30,000 people would show up just to hear this man preach. They were speaking of tongues at that time, a little more limited because he actually put a hamper on it. But it was moving. And all because of the consecration and dedication of one man was there a move of God in the, in the city. So Cornerstone, my question for us today, and I am right in here along with you. What do we have to give in order to get that? Old-time Pentecost isn't for the old-timers. It's for the now. Old-time Pentecost isn't for anything back then or old-fashioned, but it's for the today. Pentecost is a lifestyle. Pentecost is for, is for this moment. And we're fortunate enough that we have the actual, we have the Bible in order to lead us. Back in the day, what what they had, they had the Old Testament. That's where they did every little bit. The apostles used the Old Testament. We're fortunate enough we have the Old and the New. We have the epistles. We We have the Mosaic Law. We have the Torah. We have all that all in one book. Back in the day, all they had was just the Old Testament. They just had to go off the prophecies. And they had to go off this. But they experienced it firsthand for the first time. And so in verses number 29 through 33, we already read through 32. Thus saith the Lord, in the day that I shall have cleansed you from all your iniquities, I will also cause you to dwell in the cities and the wastes shall be builded. That keeps moving on. And it keeps on going on through verse number 38. And the desolate land shall be tilled, whereas it lay desolate, in the sight of all that pass by. And they shall say, This land that was desolate is become like the garden of Eden. And the waste in the desolate and ruined cities are become fenced and inhabited. 
talking about the people of God. Before we get the Holy Ghost, before we have an actual outpouring, and we, before we have an actual change in our spirits, how many of us just let anything go? How many of us just let anything run all throughout our lives? The desolation of our spirits, the desolation of those quiet moments in the middle of the night where we were just crying, looking for something different than what we were experiencing at the moment. The, ha- the desolated places became tilled and were like a garden of Eden. And it goes later on, and it says this. Then the heathen that are left round about you shall know that I, the Lord, build the ruined places and plant that what that was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. It is a promise that God has given each of us. It is a promise that we're going to have the manifestation of his spirit. It is a promise that we are going to have the things of God and it weaved into our lives. It is a promise that we are going to have holiness in our lives. It is a promise that was given. So much so that the heathen can't help but recognize. So much so that the people who don't believe and the people who may not be living 100% correct will recognize. People notice when you're living for God. People notice when you're living right, when you're living the best you can. People notice when you're taking another step in a, to a new level. People notice these things. And it's a powerful thing that God's even inviting us to even go to that new level. It is a sobering fact that we actually have the privilege and the ability and the opportunity to even go forward with it. Because back here, it's in verse number 31, it says, Cite for your iniquities and for your abominations. People were perfectly, after they had gotten the fill of the Holy Ghost, they knew right well and sure where they stood with God. But we have to keep on subjecting ourselves day in, day out. The discipline of prayer, the discipline of Bible reading, the discipline of fasting, the discipline of hearing God's word. And, you know, pastor actually came up with a, with a rule, I think it was years ago, I think it was about 16, Brother Rolf, where he said give 10% of your day. 10% of your day. You know, two, two hours and 40 minutes sounds like a long time. I'll, I'll be, be honest with you. But, you know, it doesn't have to be all at once. It could be you start your day off with 30 minutes of prayer, listen to devotions on the way to work, on your breaks, you read your Bible for a little bit. I mean, right there, you already got about an hour, just by just right there. It's very practical. Very, it's very practical living when you break break it down in this way and you break it down to this fashion, because people will be like, "How am I going to spend an hour and a half just praying in one go and then read the Bible for another hour and ten minutes?" Some people are like, "I, I understand." Sometimes it's hard to even hold focus for about five minutes for a lot of us. Let's be honest. And so when you break it up, like, yes, spend a concentrated time in prayer where you're really trying to get down and dig deep. But be practical about it. Get up. Pray for your day. Pray that you're going to be right. Pray that you're just going to do this right. Just read your Bible. Get the word in you. It's just a discipline. It's a disciplinary action that we have to take as apostolics. We're not just going to jump to the next level just by doing whatever we feel or to please. God recognizes the consecration. God recognizes that discipline. I mean, the book of Leviticus shows an exact number of how 
God wanted things to operate and when he wanted it to operate. We're not under Levitical law, thank God. But I believe that there's a lot of practice that could be taken from there that could be probably applied to our everyday living. Mindsets, thought processes. But then it keeps going on. Verse number 36. Then the heathen that are left around about you shall know that I, the Lord, build the ruined places and plant that was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it and will do it. Thus saith the Lord God, I will yet for this be inquired of by the house of Israel to do it for them. I will increase them with men like a flock. Kind of a weird wording. Kind of a first. I didn't pick up on this actually the first time. Took me two or three times actually reading it. Verse number 38, as the holy flocks, as the flock of Jerusalem in her solemn feast, shall the waste cities be filled with flocks of men, and they shall know that I am the Lord. It's talking about people living as a living sacrifice. It's talking about people living the way God intended us to live. And that's a very, very, very dynamic point. You know, this is before, you know, the new covenant. This is before all of that. This is being prophesied. And then it goes into verse number 30, or chapter 37. And I said all that because there is a lot here that I really want to get on. This is a very famous passage of scripture. But it's so essential that we understand what happened before so we can appreciate the now. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones, and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dead. The spiritual conditions in which people live in, this is where, this is where probably a lot of people are at. A lot of people. It's just, it's one of those things that it hurts to think that you could be a part of that. Because this isn't just for, you know, just for you. This is for everyone here. This is for everyone that's supposed to be here. This is for everyone. It's the calling to recognize in ourselves what has to change to move to that level. What has to change to where I'm not in that spiritual condition, where I don't have the dynamic power, where I don't have the dynamic living where I don't have the discernment as I'm walking on throughout my day. There's something very tangible that is going to be here. And, of course, we hear revival. We hear all that from this. But I want to get a different point out when we go over Ezekiel 37. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord, thou knowest. Again, we see just one man. The effort of one man is going to make a huge difference. And... He knows in the physical way, he's like, I can't do nothing about this here. A little dead. But he keeps moving on. And he, again, he said unto me, prophesy upon these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, behold, I will cause a breath to enter into you and ye shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will bring up flesh upon you and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live, and shall know that I am the Lord. Those were the words that were given. He has not said them yet. 
God was working through this man to speak the things that we, that we as a body, as a church, always need in order to move on and to progress. So I prophesied. As I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. Nothing is on accident. God did not, pro- knowing God, he did not just put random bone with random bone. They were fitted joint to joint, piece to piece, hip to hip, knee to knee. Completion was gonna, is a very, very important vital part of our human condition if we're going to really experience dynamic power in the things of God. And the start, and these, and these bones, it could also be the foundation of the doctrine. We have a doctrinal formation, a doctrinal setting, a doctrinal bedrock that is going to be laid on. Because once you put on the skin and the sinews, which could be representation of the body, it has no, no support to it. There needs to be the foundation of doctrine. There needs to be a foundation for movement. There needs to be a foundation for us to actually shake and for us to actually live and to be holy before God. And so we prophesied, and there was noise, behold, the bones came to bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. So with this, this one prophecy and one, this one word, a body and the bones were formed together. The church is here. The church is intact. But there was one vital element that came separate from those things, showing that you can have two things at once, but if you don't have the dynamic power of the third, it means nothing. And I'm hurrying up. I'll, I'll hurry this up. Music, musicians, if you could please come. And when I beheld, though, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin was covered them above, but there was no breath in them. Then he said, he unto me, prophesy unto the wind. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon the slain, that they may live. We have the breath of God now being formed into these people. We have the breath of God being breathed life into. And there was actually a very interesting commentary that I was reading on this. And it said that they were formed like under the essence of Adam with no breath in them. Kind of blew me away. And that was, I don't know what the man's name was, but his name was Poole, last name Poole. And that struck me. It's the original human condition. It's the original human, human standing point. It's the original point where we come into contact with the things of God. In the church, we hear the doctrine. We hear the, the bones of doctrine are shaking. The people are there. But without the breath, there is nothing. And this is what it says later on. So I prophesied as he commanded, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Why a great army? Why not just the, why not just the people? Why not just anything like that? because it's referencing us. It's up to us, though, to make that choice and that decision. Please stand. So after the breath was given into them, this is what it says shortly thereafter. This is the first thing that came out of those, out of the mouths of those people that were reformed. 
And the bones cried out in verse number 11, Brother Andy. Our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God. Behold, O my people, will I open your graves and cause you to come out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves and shall put my spirit in you. And ye shall live and shall place you in your own land. Then shall you know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. Jesus. So Cornerstone, really the question is today, are we going to let God put us back together? Completion is not just for the people that are outside of church, but in the church. The completion of mind, a right mind, the right spirit, the right thought process, the right means, the right just being right with God, really. And so as we come to this altar today, let's just keep in, keep in mind how can we get more consecrated? How can we get more dedicated to the things of God? How can we become more like you, God? What do we have to change? What part of our essence? What, what do we have to go through to realize that we, have, that we need more of you? Because we can't be satisfied in our current condition because that's once we stop there, we capped ourselves off. There needs to be a change. There needs to be a step forward. Because if you stop, you die. And this altar's open.